Please be seated. Today's readings, the epistle from James and the gospel reading, almost appear really to me to be at tension with one another. And I'm sure some preachers will argue that that's not the case, but I would argue that it is in a lot of respects. They are in tension with one another. And um, our first reading, the Song of Solomon, is, is just out of context for this week. It's uh, something that we don't normally get. By the way, if you want to read something really racy, then go home and read the Song of Solomon. Um, it'll make you blush, I'm going to tell you right now. So, um, but we have this tension between these two readings. We've got James, who James is often noted many times, even by my own church history professor, we referred to the epistle of James as an epistle of straw. That's how much he thought of it. He thought it shouldn't be in the canon because James says things like, faith without works is dead. While Paul says, you're not justified by your works. Um, and then he goes on today about uh, do good works and be doers. You must be doers of the word, not just hearers of the word. And whenever someone says you must do this or that, then what I automatically hear is the law. Somebody's talking to me about the law. You must do this. And my first response is, really, I must? You know, um, unless it's my wife. No, so, you know, um, actually, that's not true. But um, we, uh, humans are wired in such a way that we do things in our life towards other people when we want the outcome that we want by using the law. We raise our children that way. We deal with each other that way in a work relationship. We do it in our family relationships with our brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers. It's very much a law transaction most of the time. But then <clears throat> we don't want to have it used against us. So when somebody says to us, um, like very recently, a relative of mine was giving me shame about the fact that I couldn't come to a funeral. Um, I couldn't make it to the funeral of a neighborhood friend that grew up with us. And, you know, you should have been there. And I was, sorry, that's working, you know. Um, but th th that's, that's guilting you with the law is what that's doing, it, whatever it might be. And you can name a thousand things in your life. And so today, James seems to be in tension because he's saying that this is what you have to do, and he's saying good religion is this, that you do this and that you do this. And as far as I can tell, the only thing that I know for sure, the only thing that I know for certain is that we are not capable of meeting the needs of people when we live our lives by the law and not in grace. It's only by the grace of Jesus Christ, it's only by the blood of the cross, only that we can actually live into who it is that we're called to be, which is a free people without judgment. And when we learn to live that way, to become a people that actually act that way. But as I said, that's not how we're wired. So this morning, Jesus takes on the Pharisees and the scribes, and you can always tell when he's pretty mad at them because he calls them hypocrites. You hypocrites. Um, 
You know, that, I don't I have to look up that word sometime in the Greek. I think it was a little bit softer than what it would. If I were to call you a bunch of hypocrites, I'd be in trouble, you know. Um, but in Jesus' time, I'm not sure if it had the same connotation, except that I know that it was hyperbole in order to get people's attention. That's why he used it. So, that, you know, there's very few times when Jesus uses uh, name calling, but when he does use it, he is intent on making sure that they turn around and go, what did you say? You know, and listening to what it is that he has to say. And all concerned about the law of the past, of washing your hands, washing pots and uh, cups and things like that. And the Jews in their law in Leviticus and Deuteronomy and everything else are very um, concerned with cleanliness. Um, they're very concerned with it in all aspects and they want to be sure that they are clean um, outwardly, but they don't really care about inwardly. They're not looking at that at all. And they're also very uh, set on making sure that people not only know that they're clean, but people have seen it and can testify to it so that they know that um, ritually this person is clean or this person who sinned was sent out of, uh, out of the, the town and went and bathed in the pool of Siloam or did whatever it was that was required of him and her in terms of a washing, um, which is where that prefigures baptism. That's where we get baptism from, and is able to come back into the fold. And so they want to be seen praying. They want to be seen giving alms. They want to be seen as being clean. It's very much an outward thing. It's very much works-oriented. What I do is very much law-oriented. I'm following the law. See me doing this. And in a lot of ways, we fall into the same category oftentimes, even in our Christianity. Oh, you know, let me make sure that I do this, that, and the other. I've got to do this outreach, and I've got to do um, this, and I you know, let me go in here and pray, and uh, I hope that somebody sees me pray. And th th those are subconscious things, but other things we do intentionally because we want to be seen as somebody who is a very faithful person. And there's nothing wrong with being a faithful person, but the actions of your life speak volumes about what it is that you do. So what you do beyond these doors speaks volumes about who you are just as much as what you do inside of these doors. So Jesus goes on um, a treatise today against the law, against those old things that should have passed away, and he says it's not the outward things that defile a person, it's the things that are inside that defile a person. And he goes through this great list here of uh, fornication theft, murder, adultery, avarice, wickedness, deceit, licentiousness, envy, slander, pride, folly. All of these things are evil, he says, and they defile a person. And, and they know this. They know that it's already part of the law. In fact, they know that the Ten Commandments state that you cannot do any of those. Those are all part of the commandments, by the way. Um, avarice, to be jealous of what your neighbor has. Um, thou shalt not murder, commit murder. Those are all fall within that. And we have the new law, which is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Well, guess what? If you're doing those two things, you're meeting the rest of that law. Because you can't do those two things and then be a part of avarice or theft or anything else that falls 
in that list. And it is amazing to me how we, as a Christian people, still use to this day the law within our own faith to judge people in our own faith. We do it all the time. Now, I don't know how you feel about uh, certain things, and certainly not here to have a political debate in the very least, but there are many legalistic things in the Old Testament that we try to pull forward and bring into the faith of today. You have to follow the commandments, so much so that we had this great judge that hung him in his courtroom. You have to do this, that, or the other, and then some. We're very quick to say, uh, Leviticus says that homosexuality is an abomination. Well, that's what it says, chapter and verse, 7-2. It also says that I can stone my mother to death for planting two crops side by side that are different. Now, I'm going to tell you all right now, my mom's got good cucumbers and tomatoes, and I'd feel just a little bit hypocritical taking her to the edge of the town, killing her, and then coming back and eating salad. It also tells me in that same chapter that I can sell my daughter into slavery. She's a good student. Always cleared the table when it was her turn. What's a fair price? It also says that you can't touch the skin of a dead pig. Would it be all right with y'all if Notre Dame still played football? Is that okay? Can Alabama? Can Auburn? And so we extract the things that we can use in the law and use them towards the judgment of other people. We do it all the time. And not just homosexuality, there's a dozen other things that you could name. Dozens of them. There is a moment in human history when all of that that was the law that judges us was brought together by two hands, the two hands of Christ like He was controlling the wind in between everything. And in that moment, he sort of wrapped it into one package and absolutely obliterated it, that it was gone, that the new law that was written on your heart was the law of grace and of love. And that moment is found when he says the words, it is finished. That is the moment of culmination when you are set free. That is the moment on the cross when Jesus Christ is hanging there with His precious blood coming out and being poured into the earth, watering the plants of the earth at that moment and watering down our sins so that God, when He looks at us, He doesn't see us, He actually sees His Son. That is the moment when all of those things culminated together and He said, no more, it's finished, it's done. I have paid the price. What comes next is up to us, which is whether or not we choose to start living that way or to continue to live into the law. It's entirely up to you. You've been set free. Walk away from the law. Run away from it. There was a great quote, and I hope y'all won't mind 
I just discovered it this morning. It's on my iPhone. Um, speaking of avarice, <laughs> I want the new iPhone. Um, let's see, here it is. This is from uh, Ted Peters, who's written a book called Sin Boldly. Um, I would think it was about, probably about um, Martin Luther. That was one of his famous sayings. But he says, because God justifies us, we do not have to. Because God justifies us in the cross of Jesus Christ, we don't have to justify ourselves. We no longer need to defend ourselves, make ourselves look good, or fool ourselves into believing that we are, in fact, what we want others to think of us. You don't have to live that way anymore. You don't have to. You are who you are, and you are made in the image of God, which means that actually you are as close to perfection as you could ever possibly get, and you have grace which has been freely given to you, and so you can live with freedom and with confidence as opposed to the mask that we wear and portray so many times because we're afraid of the judgment of other people who use that law against us. I saw something the other day that said, if only our lives were the way they look on Facebook. <laughs> Some truth in that statement. And so it comes down to this. All of those things are culminated in that moment when he says the word, it is finished. All of those things are wiped away and changed forever. It's time for us to decide to live into that and to walk forward into the grace, into the good news, into the light of Jesus Christ. And even with all that that has happened, that is outstanding, that is fierce, that grabs our heart, that saves us, that makes us enraptured and in love with Jesus Christ, even with all of that, which is extraordinary, the final word has still not been spoken. In the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, amen.